How you doing? This is Job Part 3, and I, I know I mentioned what the title would be in previous episodes, but I changed the title just a little bit. But it's called Job Part 3, Loins, Behemoths, Leviathans, and Yahweh. That's how we're going to close out uh, a three-parter going through the book of Job. And, and Job is really one of these fantastic and bewildering and beautiful and impressive and wise books that have been passed down through the history. There's really no way to do it in just three episodes. You really have to kind of sit with this book. Man, I guess you could say maybe for a lifetime. But anyways, uh, my name is John. I was trained as a pastor. And this is, I don't know, this is one way that midweek I try to do something good with this education that I got. And hopefully you get something out of this, which I think you will. There's a, a good number of good things to be said about the last few chapters of the book of Job. Okay. So I have my coffee, I've got a commentary here, I've got all of my notes, we're ready to roll. I'm not really going to uh, give a recap about the beginning a whole lot, the first two episodes. So go back and listen to those if you haven't already, but otherwise, we are going to jump right into this. Job, as a title might be a reference to the ancient Hebrew word oyeb, which means adversary or potentially lawyer, because the book of Job is actually about a dude who's bringing God to court and has a lawsuit and is about to sue God. Yeah, most people don't hear that angle, um, but there's legal metaphors that happen all throughout the book of Job because he's building this case and then finally, the trial happens at the end, and that's what this episode is about. We could call this the trial, but I thought it'd be better to call it loins, behemoths, behemoths, leviathans, and Yahweh, because that makes me laugh. All right, I'm going to take a sip, and then let's do this. I've been making cold brew. It's been really good. All right. So in chapter 38, God shows up on the scene. We've got Job, his three friends, and then this other dude that was there as well. So total, there was five. Five of them were there for this ordeal. So here we go. I'm going to uh, jump around a bit. We're not going to read all of the closing chapters because there's like five or six chapters that we could read. I'm going to highlight specific parts that I think are worth noting, and then uh, we'll be good. But in chapter 38, Yahweh shows up, and it's to the surprise of everyone. Because all throughout the book, they've been making references to God as El and to Shaddai, but here God shows up and it says Yahweh, which is the Tetragrammaton. This is the name that God said to Moses. So in some sense, Job is definitely just like one of the old patriarchs of like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all of the classics. He's in the same tier as them. So when Yahweh shows up, you're like, oh my goodness, this is insane. 
In chapter 38, he starts off with this, or this is what the poet with a capital P says in chapter 38. Then Yahweh answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Who is this who clouds my design in darkness, presenting arguments without knowledge? Gird your loins like a hero. I will ask questions and you will inform me. Like, oh, oh, oh man, God uh, is flying through this. Here we go. First off, whirlwind. In the very beginning chapters, which we didn't quite go over, uh, in the very beginning, Job says that he had a nightmare where there was a whirlwind and a spirit was telling him things. And in that sense, it's understood that that spirit or that whirlwind and that nightmare was chaotic and evil and disorderly and everything else, and it terrified him. Well, here's God showing up, and it's almost like bookends of a book shelf where God shows up at the end and it's in a whirlwind, but this time it's not to instill chaos that leads to fear. This time it's about this God shows up in a whirlwind to establish order and reverence. You got me? So then here's God's counter accusation. Who is this who clouds my design in darkness? Okay, so, so far, God's plan is to defend his own understanding of designs. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't know how I designed things. How are you going to do this? Presenting arguments without knowledge. Gird your loins like a hero. Now, what that probably is a reference to is in desert culture, when you've got those long garbs, you hike up your skirt, you hike up the, the lower parts, and then you reach back between your legs and you pull it up in front and then you kind of tie it around your waist so then you can run like a hero, like a warrior, like a soldier. So here's Yahweh saying, brace yourself like a man. Here we go. We're going to have a fight right now. I will ask questions and you will inform me. So all of a sudden, Job's plan was to interrogate God and hold him accountable. But now we've got this divine reversal where Yahweh has put Job in the dock in a courtroom. And now he's going to question him. So the, the whole narrative has flipped. Who was the original Oyeb in this book, who was the original lawyer who had accusations? Because now it's switched. Now God is the one that's interrogating, asking questions, and trying to plead his case, his counter argument. Like, oh my God. So let me read this again, and then you'll see how crazy the first three verses of chapter 38 are. Then Yahweh answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Who is this who clouds my design in darkness, presenting arguments without knowledge? Gird your loins like a hero. I will ask questions and you will inform me. Like, oh God. Like, oh man. Job and the people there must have been absolutely terrified that one, God showed up, and two, God says something so direct as that. Like, my goodness. 
All right. Ready? Let's keep moving. That's just the start. Things get way worse or better. Anyways, so for the next chapter, two chapters pretty much, Yahweh gives his first speech where he goes through his design to everything. He talks about uh, the earth, the sea, the dawn, the underworld, like the netherworld, light and darkness, weather, constellations, thunderstorms. And then, well, that's just like natural phenomenon. And then he goes into the animal kingdom about how Yahweh has designed or ordered the lion and the raven, the ibex and the hind, the wild ass, the wild ox, the ostrich, the horse, the hawk and the eagle, like all of these things. So God's saying, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Of the inanimate and the animate world, do you know how I've set up anything? Do you, can you do this? Do you? Do you really think that you're in a position to tell me how the world is supposed to be ordered? Because that's what's going on. In the very beginning, God says, who is this that clouds my design? It's like, who is this that thinks that what I'm doing is uh, able to be reproached, I guess? I don't know. Then we jump ahead to chapter 40 where things get pretty interesting because oops what we have is Job's response to God speaking this part so God just railed through all of the natural design that he created Yahweh this is a 40 verses 1 through 5 Yahweh answered Job and said Will the one with a suit against Shaddai correct me? Will the one arraigning Eloah answer me? Those are also names for himself. So he's like, who is this that's got the lawsuit? Come on, bring it on. Let's see it. It's it's like taunting, actually. It kind of sounds like it. Then Job answered Yahweh and said, Behold, I am small. How can I refute you? I clap my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I cannot answer twice, and I will do so no more. So, this is fascinating. Job says, I am small in response to Yahweh's commentary and defense of how he's ordered the natural and the animal world. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't even say, I repent yet. He doesn't even say, like, I was wrong. Instead, he says, I am small, which is probably like a statement of humility, extreme humility. And then Job, realizing at this point that he's in over his head, claps his hand on over his mouth, not out of wonder, but out of almost like a humble fear, like, I better shut up because this has gotten way beyond what I was capable of handling. I thought I was in control of this situation and the accusations, and now I realize I am small. And so then he just consents to being silent. However, (laughs) Yahweh's not done yet. 
That was only the first thing that Yahweh had to say about the natural and the animal world. Um, sorry, let me find this next bit. There we go. Then starting at 40, verse 6, Yahweh says, or then it says, Then Yahweh answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Gird your loins like a hero. I will ask questions and you will inform me. So it's like, oh, Job thought they were done. Like he closed his mouth. He's like, I'm small. I should be humble before all of this mystery. And Yahweh speaks up again. Would you pervert my justice? Would you prove me wrong so that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like El's? Have you thunder with a voice like his? Deck yourself with grandeur and dignity. Adorn yourself with glory and majesty. Unleash the furies of your wrath. Look upon the proud and humble them. Look upon the proud and abase them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind up their faces in the hidden place. Then I... I will pay you homage for the victory is your, the victory your right hand has won you. It's like, oh my gosh, this is like an epic rap battle where one person is just utterly decimating the other person. The other person's already given up their microphone and the other rapper is still drilling them. You're like, no, 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 you've given up, but I'm not done yet. Like, (laughs) this book is insane. And it's so misunderstood because we gloss over it and we think the whole book is really just about, oh, Job didn't curse God. He blessed God. And even in the midst of not losing everything, it's like, no, you have no idea. Job thought he had a good lawsuit against God. And then God shows up and has a trump card that just like flattens Job and makes him realize that he is small. But here is... Uh, where Yahweh goes even deeper. So, this is fascinating, this next part. We're going to talk here about the behemoth and the Leviathan. So, in chapter 40, Yahweh brings up the, the, the creatures of the behemoth and the Leviathan. And from their depiction, we actually think we know what their... Um, what they are. So let me do one thing real fast. Let me move this thing. Boom. Okay. So we actually think we know what is being referenced with the behemoth and Leviathan. These aren't just like uh, mythological poetic creatures. So in the next bit, should we read it? Let's read at least a little bit about behemoth and Leviathan. So here's El's subjugation of behemoth. Behold now, behemoth, whom I made along with you. He eats grass like cattle. Behold his strength in his loins, his might in his muscles of his belly. When erect, his tail is like a cedar. The sinews of his his thighs are knotted together. His bones are like tubes of bronze, his limbs like iron rods. He is the first of El's ways. His maker draws his sword against him. The mountains bring their tribute. All the beasts of the field revel there. He lies down under the lotuses, hmm. under the cover of reeds and swamp. Hmm. 
The lotuses form a bower of shade over him. The willows of the brook surround him. If the river rages, he is not crowded. If the Jordan gushes forth, he is calm. El takes him by the mouth with rings. He pierces his nose with hooks. This is most likely a reference to the red hippopotamus that lived in the Jordan River and also some of the other rivers in the ancient Near Eastern world. This is a beast of which an ancient desert tribe would have no idea how to take down. And so the hippopotamus, the red hippopotamus, was definitely a behemoth, uh, a beast of mythological proportions, of epic tales, and just like, oh my goodness, this is just so far beyond us. So, what does this mean? The very end, God says, can you submit the behemoth? I didn't think so. And then he goes into the Leviathan. Can you draw out the Leviathan with a hook or depress his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope through his nose or pierce his jaw with a barb? Will he inundate you with supplications or placate you with gentle words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him as your lifelong servant? Will you play him like a bird? (laughs) Play with him like a bird and tie him down for your girls? Will traders bargain over him or offer him for sale for, for merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on him, you will not long remember the battle. The Leviathan, from context and then other things that are said, is most likely a reference to the Nile crocodile. It's got scales. It's another mythological gigantic beast that, A desert wandering tribe would have no idea how to subdue. And here's Yahweh saying, can you handle that? I didn't think so. I can. Can you make it just like a little bird that little girls might have as pets? I don't think so. But that Leviathan is like a little tiny play bird for me. Bring it on. So here's Yahweh just shutting Job down by saying, you can't handle all the things that I do, which granted, I understand that might sound incredibly arrogant, but again, this is actually Yahweh setting himself up to say like, listen, the design of the universe is far larger and more dangerous than you can ever understand or comprehend. Okay. I'm skipping ahead in my book real quick. And we come to chapter 42. And this is probably um, my favorite part. When you know everything that's happened thus far, this part of the book is probably my favorite. And I actually once got in trouble for this passage. I had to do a Hebrew translating test. And the person that I was translating it for, the evaluator, didn't like how I translated this. And so they failed me. And it was kind of nice to see some vindication when I read this passage. You feel me? All right. So after all of this, Yahweh just brings the knowledge like an epic rap battle. And Job is left utterly astounded and in his own smallness looking at all of the topics that were just brought to him. And it says, this is chapter 42, 1 through 6. Then Job answered Yahweh 
and said, I know that you can do everything and that no scheme of yours can be thwarted. You said, who is this who obscures my design without knowledge? Indeed, I, I spoke without discernment. Of things beyond me which I did not know, you said, Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask, and you will inform me. I have heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you. And then here we go. This is my favorite line, probably of the whole book. Therefore, I retract and repent of dust and ashes. Yeah. So what does he retract? Well, it sounds like he retracts his lawsuit in light of realizing how small he is in comparison to the ordering of the entire universe. But the the most brilliant thing is actually the second line, where he says, I repent of dust and ashes. It doesn't say that he repents in dust and ashes. Let's chat about that. In would be very different. That would mean like Job is just continuing his repentance or he's, it's almost like his, what was grief and fury and anger before at losing all of his money and business and family and health, it just like it transmutes and becomes a different kind of sitting in dust and ashes. Well, it's not, it doesn't say that repenting in dust and ashes. It says repent of dust and ashes of dust and ashes which at the very beginning of this in chapters like one through four job threw ashes dust and ashes on himself and sat down in the dirt well at this point after hearing god's counter lawsuit and realizing his own smallness job repents of his this is i I think this is kind of difficult if this is what it means Job repents of his grief and fury and anger. He repents of living the rest of his life in dust and ashes, in feudalism and defeat. So he he does something really amazing here. This is the Hebrew word for repent, uh, teshuva, has got a, a sense of not turn around, but return. And so in this moment, it's almost as though in light of realizing God's design for the universe, in light of recognizing his own smallness, he retracts his lawsuit against God and then returns to like a previous state of life that he might have lost, a previous attitude, a previous mindset, a previous mode of being that lives in the world with a different kind of energy than just perpetual grief and fury and anger and disappointment. It's almost as though what Job had happened to him was he experienced the repentance of becoming humble. Now, it doesn't say that he was being proud necessarily before. It doesn't say it exactly like that. But man, Yahweh certainly rails it into him as if, it's like, who do you think you are? Really? But what happens, I think, is really fascinating is that even that Yahweh even showed up at the end of the book to the 
surprise and awe of everyone, Yahweh shows up and says, I'm here. Here's my counter lawsuit. What you got to stand against this? Now, the rest of the book finishes with... Mm, should we read it? Yeah, it's only another 10 verses. So this follows, therefore I retract and repent of dust and ashes. After Yahweh had spoken these words to Job, Yahweh said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger has flared up against you and your two friends, for they have not spoken the truth about me, as did my servant Job. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and make a burnt offering for yourselves and have Job, my servant, intercede for you. For only to him will I show favor and not shame you for not speaking the truth about me, as did my servant Job. Eliphaz, the Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did as Yahweh had told them. So actually they had to go and repent and make uh, a sacrificial offering. But apparently they were speaking untruth. But what untruth were they speaking? Well, in this sense, Job was kind of vindicated. They kept saying, you did something wrong here. You deserve this hardship. Yahweh only, no, this doesn't happen. Job, you have to apologize for whatever offense you did. And so in that sense, they were telling an untruth. And Job was the one that kept speaking the truth. So in some sense, Job is actually vindicated for holding on to his innocence that he didn't deserve this type of thing to happen to him. So there's something really profound there with Job holding on to his integrity, even in the light of other people telling him he was doing everything wrong. There might be a timeless lesson there for that, right? Continuing. Yahweh restored Job's fortunes when he had interceded for his friends. Oh, sorry. Job interceded for them. And Yahweh doubled Job's possessions. Then all his brothers and sisters and all his former acquaintances came to him and ate a meal with him in his house. It's like a covenant. That's like a, the, the dining room table was kind of an altar that you shared with other people. They consoled him and comforted him for all the evil Yahweh had inflicted upon him. So his people came and comforted him. Each gave him one casita and one gold ring. So Yahweh blessed the end of Job's life more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. <laughs> so he actually doubled all of his income before. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hepuk. In all the land, no women were found as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance together with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years to see four generations of sons and daughters. So Job died an old man sated with days as if he was uh, content with the life that he had. Now, some people like to think that uh, since he got sons and daughters again, that that's somehow a reference towards resurrection. But um, 
when I was doing this book study with uh, a bunch of literally middle schoolers and high schoolers and a few other adults, um, we kind of said that it felt like the end of the book wrapped things up a little too cleanly. That it would have been better had it just finished where um, Job says, I repent of dust and ashes. But there's a part of me that likes that Yahweh then turns and speaks to the friends who were trying to indict or convince Job that he had done something wrong, that God actually takes time to correct them. But then there's also something really deep. And I, I don't think that um, Job w- got double what he had before because he decided to continue faith in God. I actually wonder, and this is a great open question, if God gave him a double portion of everything that he had before because he struggled with God, because he debated with God, and because he was actually so faithful that he was willing to sue God, not just turn to atheism. That makes sense? That there is actually a, a form of fidelity to Yahweh when you are actually trying to bring Yahweh to court, when you bring Yahweh to a hearing, when you try to sue God. There's actually a hint of faithfulness in the midst of all of that. Maybe it's covenant. It's like, wait a second, you said you weren't going to act like this. What's going on here? Well, to challenge God is actually a faithful thing. And I think that's one of the main parts of this book, one of the main themes or ideas that everyone should and can take. So I um, I loved going through this book with a commentary and with a group of people and reading every single chapter because I think this book exploded for me. It just... Uh, bloomed and blossomed with so many more topics and ideas and conversations than I had expected. But that's part of the beauty of the wisdom literature. You have no idea the kind of conversations you're almost invited and forced into as a result of the narrative and what's happening with the people and the story and everything else. So there's a number of things that you can take from this book, but nothing, nothing really beats the fact that there's, there's nothing like this today. So this is it. This is part three. This is the end of the book of Job for uh, this series. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, at least go back and read the last chapters from 38 on when you see what God has to say when he puts Job in his place. This is a, an impressive book that I think is, one, overlooked, two, um oversimplified for sure. And then three, as a result of that, it's not really uh, gleaned for its wisdom because we have glossed over it too much. So that's all. And uh, we'll see you next time. Grace and peace.